Radio Mano Papachango. If you are in L.A. or near L.A. or coming to L.A. in early December, get your ass to the motherfuckerawards.com and buy some tickets to this event. They're selling fast, and I don't want you to miss out. If you are going to be in L.A. December 4th, you need to come to the Miracle Theater, and you need to see me and Kyle... I don't know, either flying high or crashing to earth. We've never produced an event like this before. It's the first time for both of us. But we're going for it. And it's coming together amazingly well. Uh, I don't know. Am I allowed to tell you yet? I don't know. Kyle's at his brother's wedding in Baja. And he's sort of out of the off the grid here for a few days so i'm not sure what i'm allowed to say and what i'm not allowed to say because he's really he's really the boss i'm just lending my name and whatever shards of credibility i have to help attract talent um all right i'm going to tell you we've got who we have so far we have brendan walsh who's a very funny dry comedian we have jake johansson who is legendary who has been, he was like on David Letterman's show 28 times or some fucking thing. Um, who else do we have? Uh, we're, I'm negotiating with people. Not, not negotiating. Everybody wants to do it. It's just, do they have time? Uh, Brian Callen was into it, but he can. He's got scheduling conflicts. Moshe Kasher's got a scheduling conflict that maybe we can work out, maybe not. I don't know. I'm trying to get Natasha. Um, it's hard. It's hard. People are busy. They're so busy. Uh, who else was uh, just confirmed? Oh, Matt Taibbi is going to be presenting one of the awards. The fantastic author uh, of various books about what the fuck is wrong with America and economics and Wall Street. He invented that phrase about the the fucking squid like sticking its... Uh, I forget the phrase, but Matt Taibbi, he's fantastic. I believe the Yes Men are going to be accepting an award. Uh, it's going to be a fucking extravaganza, is what I'm saying. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be unlike anything that's ever happened before. So go to themotherfuckerawards.com and check it out. Even if you can't come, go there, check out what's going on. Uh, I think you can make your... Um, What's it called? Uh, yeah, you can you can email in your nominations for motherfuckers. Um, that's the companies, the entities that have been fucking Mother Earth the hardest. Yeah. So the whole idea is that we're going to celebrate these motherfuckers. We're going to celebrate those who are accelerating the transformation of Mother Earth. Okay, I spent the day, it's Saturday, <clears throat> I'm here alone, 9 o'clock, Saturday night. I must be a loser, right? If you're home alone on a Saturday night, you're a loser, man. You don't have any friends. Yeah, 
So, but this is exactly where I want to be. I was out hiking today with some friends, a beautiful hike on Mount Pinos, about an hour and a half north of LA. Then I drove down through Ojai to Ventura and drove down along the coast while the sun was setting. One of the things about living in LA that's kind of cool is the the names of places are world famous. So it's kind of cool to be cruising through Malibu. Malibu. It's got like a magical Hollywood, you know. Uh, a lot of names here have this sort of uh, iconic status. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's shallow and meaningless, but yeah, whatever. This is a special episode. This is a Roma. I haven't done a Roma in a long time, and this is uh, this is going to be a new kind of Roma. Instead of reading emails from people, I thought I would just throw up. Um, oh, how many are there? I think there are eleven. Um, of these intro snips that you sent in. And I thought I would just play them. And then if something comes to mind, talk about it and just be sort of spontaneous and responsive and have it almost be like um, an interaction between me and you. So it's almost like if you were here, if it were a live audience and you could grab the mic and say stuff and ask questions or whatever, um, maybe we should do it that way. Yeah, maybe we should do it that way. So you can send in your intros to uh, intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com. But you could also send in if you have a question or something. Um, in the subject line, put Roma, R-O-M-A, ranting out my ass. And I will know which, uh, or Natasha will know which folder to put it into so we don't get confused. And in the future, maybe I'll, uh, I can play you actually asking your question. Unless your question is very, you know, sensitive and uh, you don't want your voice to be associated with it. That's understandable. And then you just write that in an email. Okay. Uh, so let's get to these. This one is, <laughs> okay. Now this one, I want to, I want to open with this one because when it first came in, I listened to it and I, I fucking cracked up and I thought, is this guy fucking with me? And I'm pretty sure this guy's fucking with me. See what you think. Hey Chris, uh, love love the show, man. I'm out here in uh, in the woods in Texas, and uh, thanks to you, thanks to your show, and your uh, you know just enlightening me and freeing me sexually, uh, me and my. Uh, me and my uh, friend uh, just tried anal out here, so gotta say, uh, love what you do, man. Uh, 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 God bless. All right. Well, I'm very happy for you and your um, your uh, your friend <laughs> who who doesn't. Doesn't seem to have much to say there. Where's your friend? Is your friend alive? Uh, 
Is your friend human? Hmm. Yeah. So what do you think? Is this guy fucking with me? Or is this a a serious, legitimate uh, gesture of um, appreciation? Because thanks to this podcast, he and his (laughs) friend (laughs) have tried anal for the first time in the woods in Texas. I think he's fucking with me. That's what gets my vote. And uh, good on you. It's a little little bit of humor there. I appreciate it. All right, let's go to another one. What's up, Chris? This is Hayden Gladstone. I'm currently riding my ass up a really long mountain bike trail in beautiful Kananaskis country, Alberta. And of course, I'm working my ass off to get up this trail so I can enjoy the fruits of my labor going down. Heard you got a bike, an e-bike, you know, one of those old men bikes. Just playing with you, man. Love to ride with you one day. Thanks for everything you do. You're a voice of truth. You're a voice of reason. Much love, brother. Take care. All right. There seems to be a theme developing here. A bit of an anal theme, ass theme. He's riding his ass up the trail. Uh, Yeah, I do have an old man bike, and it's fantastic. I love it. It's the best piece of technology uh, I think that I possess it's fantastic I was just talking about it today actually on this trail that we were walking I I was wishing I had my bike the only problem with the bike is that other people who have normal bikes can't keep up with me so it's not very social Uh, although when I ride with Kyle or uh, Kaj who are both in just insane condition um, they can keep up with me. In fact, the question is, can I keep up with them uh, when we're going up hills and stuff? But, you know, Kaj is a Navy SEAL. Kyle's a big wave surfer. They're both young whippersnappers. So if you're not a young whippersnapper who's in incredible condition, you might want to consider one of these things if you can afford it. I can't, um, but presumably you make more money than I do because you're not trying to make a living podcasting. You have a serious job. You're a responsible, contributing member of society. Um, If so, you might be able to afford a $7,000 bike. Uh, If they had specialized, hadn't given it to me, there's no way I would have. I don't think I, I would have been embarrassed to test ride it in the parking lot of the bike shop. But as it is, I got this damn bike and it's fantastic. So... If you can afford it, you might want to take a look at Specialized, the Turbo Levo. I mean, I know there are lots of different uh, options out there, but that's a pretty good one. It's got the big fat tires and I don't know shit about bikes, but people know about bikes, look at it and they're like, oh my God, it's got the, these derailers and it's got that shock absorber and you know, apparently it's all top of the line stuff. So, so there you go. Um, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I think I've said it before. It's like, it's like the perfect teacher or, or it's like one of those retirement accounts where they match your, don- your, um, your deposits or what's it called? Your donations, you know, where if you put in a thousand bucks, the, the company will put in a thousand. And so like whatever effort you put in, the, the little electric motor matches it. Um, and it's fantastic. So you have to work, but it feels really good because whatever effort you put in is, is hyper rewarded. So thank you, Hayden from Alberta. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you on the trail one day. 
Hey Chris, this is Dan Jones, otherwise known as DJ. I'm here in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, our nation's capital. Um, just listening to your podcast while uh, longboarding along our world-famous canal. Just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate the podcast and, and respect how you kind of organically find your guests and uh, let the conversation take itself to where it needs to go. Anyways, thanks, man. Take care. Thank you, DJ. Uh, yeah, it- you know, the thing about finding the guests is interesting because, you know, now the audience is big enough that I can reach out to famous people and, um, you know, try to attract more audience by having famous people on. But the truth is, I like just the randomness of guests who come to me either because one of you has written to me saying, hey, you know, my cousin is this interesting cat or, you know, have you considered talking to this guy or that guy? I I love those kind of leads. Honestly, it's difficult because, as you know, I only do this in person. So unless the person is based in L.A., you know, sometimes I get stuff like, hey, you should talk to Russell Brand. Like, yeah, I should. But you know, he's in fucking London. And how do I get in touch with Russell Brand? Um, sometimes I think, you know, people who listen to podcasts <clears throat> may overestimate my reach. Um, you know, I'll get, you know, you should talk to Sam Harris. Like, yeah, I guess I should talk to Sam Harris, but I don't think Sam Harris wants to talk to me. My audience isn't big enough to justify his time necessarily. And I'm an asshole. As far as Sam Harris is concerned, I think, you know, like there's there. That's the other issue. Like, I don't I don't seek guests that I'm I suspect I'm going to disagree with on the Reddit page. Recently, people are talking about um, Tim Ferriss and that I should have him on. And and yeah, you know, I'd I'd be happy to talk to Tim Ferriss. Um, But again, I don't think Tim Ferriss really has time for me. Maybe I'm wrong, but um you know, I think there's like a, in podcasting, I think there's like an A, an A listing or I don't know, like a top shelf and like I'm on a middle shelf. So the top shelf is Rogan and Ferris and Sam Harris and Russell Brand. Um, and, you know, I'm on the second shelf, you know, with, uh, I don't know, Daniele and maybe Duncan. Duncan might be on the top shelf. I don't know where Duncan is, but um podcasters by the way don't like to talk about how many downloads they get which sort of a closely kept secret like how much money you make um i'm one of the few podcasters who's willing to just say the numbers but even if you say the numbers you don't really know um i just found out for example that there've been some confusion on recent downloads the software I use, Hindenburg, there was a bug in their system and the last four or five episodes that I uploaded played fine on some apps and wouldn't play on other apps. And so I was getting emails from people saying, hey, you know, what's up? It won't play on iTunes. It's, you know, but then played fine for other people. So it's it's a mess. I think I I've worked it out and they've fixed their bug. And so hopefully I, I went and deleted all the files and re-uploaded them. So if you've had trouble hearing the last few episodes, Wim Hof and um, Lloyd Kahn and uh, Stephen Jenkinson, if you've had trouble, if you haven't been able to hear those, delete the file and re-download it and it should work fine now. Anyway, my point was that 
you know, I look at the download numbers on Libsyn, which is my podcast hosting service. And what that tells you is how many files have been downloaded from that central um, server. And I get uh, on this podcast uh, anywhere from 30 to 50,000 downloads per episode uh, within a month, roughly. Some more, some less, some a lot more. Um, depending, you know, if somebody's famous, then they bring their own audience that will download them. But then here's what's interesting. SoundCloud downloads one file. And then everyone who listens to it on SoundCloud, they get their file from SoundCloud. So this is the thing about digital, right? You download one file, you can replicate that a million times, infinite number of times, in fact. Um, so those downloads don't appear in the Libsyn numbers. And because somebody was having trouble with an app called Podcast Addict, I downloaded Podcast Addict to test if these things, these tweaks I was doing were effective, if, if it fixed the problem. And I saw in Podcast Addict that just on that app, there are 42,000 subscribers to this podcast, which basically doubles the download numbers that I thought we were getting. I thought we were getting, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 an episode. Well, if 42,000 are subscribed on Podcast Addict, then that, and that counts as one download on Libsyn, Right, because Podcast Addict takes one file and then replicates it out of their out of their server. Then I have no fucking idea how many people are downloading this podcast because that's one app, and there are dozens of podcast apps out there. And so, if all these other podcast apps are also taking one file and then replicating it from their own server, then those numbers aren't appearing in my in my Libsyn tally. So, long and short of it is. I have no fucking clue how many people are listening to this podcast. It could be, it could be 50,000. It could be half a million. I have no idea. Um, you know, I look at how many, you know, people buy t-shirts and people send me emails and people sign up on Patreon, but who knows that could be 5% of everyone hearing my voice right now. That could be a 10th of 1% of everybody hearing my voice right now. I have, there's no way to know. It's a very strange and mysterious thing. Anyway, getting back to the original point, um, I could reach out to famous people and try to do it that way. But two problems with that. One is it's it takes a lot of time because you end up talking to their publicist and they want to... You know, they want to time it so that it, you know, coincides with the release of their book or their movie or they're on tour, they, you know, whatever. So they're, they're always trying to leverage the, the media stuff. And it's a pain in the ass. They're busy. So it's like, oh, let's do a Tuesday at two. Oh, and, you know, and then Monday they're like, oh, sorry, man, I had something came up. I can't do it. It's like a constant just like, fuck, reschedule, reschedule, reschedule which is a pain in the ass because driving around LA sucks. So that's even with people in LA, people outside of LA, forget about it. Cause I don't want to do the fucking Skype shit. I like being in the room with the person that Skype thing is so awkward and you're interrupting each other and there's just no feel. I, I, I don't like it. Um, so, so that's, you know, the, and I'm, I'm lazy. You may have, you may have learned that about me over the years. 
I don't like doing things that are too hard. I kind of feel like if it's that hard, maybe it's not worth doing, you know? Um, and I like undiscovered beauty. I like people who are just, you just stumble across them and they've got interesting shit to say. I like the sort of serendipity of, you know, talking to someone and they say, oh, you should talk to my cousin. My cousin's this rattlesnake guy or my, you know, my cousin, you know, he's a vet and he was a helicopter pilot and, you know, whatever. I, I like how that happens organically. And I like bringing those people to you and I like bringing you to those people because a lot of times those people, you know, I think about uh, Lodi, the auto mechanic who had never told his story um, until I asked about it and we set it up and I went in early and he told me his life story and, and, you know, 350 episodes, it's one of my absolute favorites. And I'll never forget the moment that he started to tear up and had to took off his microphone and went to have a glass of water because he was thinking about his parents and how kind his parents were to him, even though he was this crazy black sheep in this family of prominent high achievers. And he was the kid who never added up to anything. And maybe, maybe in that moment talking on my podcast, he felt like, well, you know, at least I have a story worth telling. That's what I love. That's what I love. Russell Brand, fuck yeah, I'd love to meet Russell Brand. I'd love to talk to him. I'd love to try to bring something to him that no one else has brought to him. I'd like to, you know, be candid with him. I'd like to try to slow him down. I'd like to give him a foot massage while we're doing the podcast to calm him down a little bit. Um, You know, but... Would that be a more interesting conversation for you? I don't know. I don't think so. I think maybe the random stranger that I meet in a bus stop might be a much more interesting conversation for you. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for your uh, for your comment and your, your intro clip there. Let's move on to the next one. Hello, Chris, and my other fellow tangentially speaking listeners. Uh, my name is Ryan Mayoni. I'm in northern Iceland currently doing a cycling tour. And while it's unsafe for me to be listening to the podcast while I'm cycling on the road, I have been using it uh, while I try to fall asleep in the perpetual daytime here. Well, I guess people use the podcast for all kinds of things. Uh, I, I guess you could use it to fall asleep hey wake up man ryan wake up uh i've heard of people who play it while they're having sex which is kind of weird um but hey i'm into it you know if it works for you it works for me no problem happy to join you uh kind of a weird three-way maybe a two and a half way i'm not sure exactly how that would be categorized but um happy to assist uh and you're in iceland now you may have noticed that uh there are have been i think three or four guys so far yeah that's the thing and again i don't know there's no scientific way to confirm what percentage of the people who listen to this podcast are men versus women or other um but based on emails and based on these intro clips probably 80 percent maybe more men 
And um, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, obviously, everybody's welcome. I, you know, being a red-blooded heterosexual American man, I wish there were more women listening. But maybe there are women listening, and maybe they just don't send in these intro clips or send me emails as much. Occasionally, I'll get an email from a woman saying. Why don't you have more women guests? Or how come all the women guests you have are like in the sex business? You know, they're porn stars or, you know, whatever. Um, and I don't really have a good answer to that. Uh, I, you know, as I explained in the previous segment, I like the guest situation to just sort of unspool spontaneously and people come to my attention as they do. And um, I don't know if, I don't know why that is. I know maybe I have some unexamined bias. I love talking to women. I, I think I'm as enthusiastic to talk to women as I am to talk to men, probably more so. Um, but they just don't seem to come to my attention with the same frequency that men do. I've talked, I had out, I talked to a man who walked the Pacific Crest Trail and I talked to a woman who walked the Appalachian Trail. Um, You know, I I try when balance presents itself, I try to go for it. Um, But I don't know. I don't know if women are more private, um, if men are drawn to more sort of outlandish behavior that would lead to you know them um, attracting my attention um I don't know I don't know what it is and hopefully um I said hopefully but may I don't know if it should change I don't know if women should be as risk-taking and outlandish as men I, I don't I don't I think people should be what they are and I don't claim to understand what causes us to develop in the ways we do Uh, of course there's some genetics there's some hormone there's some cultural expectation there are a lot of things going on there and uh, i don't want to put pressure on anyone to try to conform to anything that doesn't feel natural to them um but yeah i do i i am aware of the sort of male uh heavy tone of the podcast sometimes and I don't know. I don't know if, if women, I, I don't listen to podcasts very much, but I wonder if women's podcasts tend to have more women guests. Maybe. Hope so. I'm going to play a song. Let's break this up with some music. All right. This is a song called Tajabon. I have no idea what that means. It's by Ismael Lo. I think he's from Senegal. And he's got an amazing voice. Hope you enjoy this. Taijabon, T-A-J-A-B-O-N-E, and Ismael Lowe. Of course, this information will be on my website. So if you don't have time to jot it down right now, if you're driving or whatever, and you want to check out the song later, go to my website, and there will be the information and a link to a YouTube video or an iTunes place where you can download it or something so you can track it down and get yourself a copy. All right. The song has a haunting, nostalgic feel for me. See if you find it. (laughs) 
Hey Chris and all the listeners of this podcast, this is Sam Sycamore coming to you from southern Indiana, Paoli to be precise. I am out gathering invasive knotweed and garlic mustard, both delicious edible wild plants uh, that I'm going to be taking to some chefs down in Louisville. And uh, yeah, listen to the podcast as I go. Cheers. One of the coolest things is finding out that there are jobs that I had no idea existed. I love learning that kind of stuff about the world. So this guy's out there gathering wild edible plants that he's going to take and sell to chefs in restaurants. So cool. What a great way to make a living, you know?
great way to get outside and use some knowledge. Presumably he had the knowledge or maybe he just learned the knowledge. Who knows? But in any case, uh, that's a very cool way to make a living. Glad to know you're out there doing that. And I'm glad to know that we're out there with you in the fields gathering whatever the fuck that was. Wild mustard. Cool. Hey, Chris. This is Amri from Israel. I just came back from an ayahuasca retreat in this small village where Arabs and Jews live together. Lots of olive trees and lots of green and where the hills meet the plains. It's a beautiful, beautiful place with amazing vibes. Um, during my trip, I felt a lot of suffering, not just my own suffering, but of my friends and my family and also of, of the culture. And it reminded me of, um, of what you're doing and how important it is. And just thank you for doing what you're doing and uh, expressing your voice. Yeah, lots of love, lots of love. Podcasts are crazy. It's unbelievable. Peace. Yeah, lots of love back to you, man. Israel, Israel, man, I don't know. That's a tough situation, a lot of pain in that part of the world, and for sure. I don't claim to have any answers. I've only been to Israel one time. It was in 1999. It was for the first World Ecstasy Conference. I was invited by Rick Doblin of MAPS, who was uh, has been on this podcast. Um, I met Rick... Uh, it's a long story. I won't. I won't go into the whole story of how I met him, but but we became friends right away. Um, and I was living in Spain at the time, and just so happened that there was a Spanish researcher, uh, Jose Carlos Busso, who was going to be presenting his research at this conference in Israel. And uh, Rick got in touch with me and said, "Hey." are you busy in September? Uh, would you be willing to come to Israel? I'll pay your expenses. I'll pay your airfare and, you know, your hotel and all that. And you would just um, translate for this guy, uh, Jose Carlos, and um, who speaks English, but, you know, he could use someone who speaks Spanish to, you know, sort of hang out and help him out. And and I did, of course. And Jose Carlos and I became good friends and are still friends and um, Jose Carlos was doing research at Madrid for his PhD. He was using MDMA in psychotherapy with women who had been um, sexually abused and had not responded to any other form of treatment. They'd been through, um, you know, typical therapy and taking in anxiety meds and, you know, all the sort of stuff that conventional doctors do and these women had not responded and meaning they weren't getting better they were still suffering sleeplessness anxiety attacks you know lack of appetite sexual dysfunction all the classic ptsd symptomology and so he had government approval to do this research um doing psychotherapy with them assisted with by MDMA. And he was having fantastic results. He was really helping people who had not found relief 
anywhere else. And unfortunately, the whole thing fell apart when he did um, uh, an interview with a local newspaper. He had all the licensure. Everything was fine. Everything was totally above board. He did this interview with the newspaper, and the newspaper, the slant they put was like, can you believe that the government's allowing these hippies to do this crazy research and... That brought enough political pressure that they shut down his research. It was a fucking mess. And the poor guy was halfway through his dissertation research and the whole thing fell apart. Anyway, that's the only time I've been to Israel was for that ecstasy conference at the Dead Sea Hyatt. Um, Sasha Shulgin was there. He's the guy who, the chemist who basically sort of invented MDMA not knowing that it had already been invented in the 20s by Bayer, and um, they didn't find any interesting effects. They did, I think, animal studies with it and didn't notice that the rats were, like, you know, grooming each other and having lots of sex. So they um, shelved it. And um, and then Sasha Shulgin reinvented it in the 70s in Berkeley. So he was there. Um, I had met him previously, but... We hung out more uh, there. And um, other, uh, Alex Gray, I think, was there. And um, yeah, there were some some interesting folks there. Um, And what I found most interesting about it was that the conference was sponsored by the Israeli military. There were several high-ranking Israeli, I think there were generals, at the conference, asking questions and the Q&As and all that. And the the sort of official story was that the Israeli government was interested in the potential use of MDMA in therapy to help um, soldiers who were suffering from PTSD. But judging by the questions that were being asked, I got the impression that they were also interested in potential use of MDMA in interrogation. And that raised some interesting ethical questions. You know, at first I was like, fuck these guys. You know, they want to take this drug that, you know, like everything else, every other invention of humanity, you know, within 10 years of inventing the fucking airplane, pilots were tossing bombs, you know, out of the airplane onto innocent civilians. It's like everything we invent, we find a way to fuck it up. And so my first thought was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to fuck this up, too. They're going to use this for, in, to interrogate people. But then I thought, well, you know, if you offered me the choice between, you know, 150 micrograms of MDMA and a pretty Israeli interrogator versus electrodes on my testicles and, you know, getting beat on the soles of my feet... Uh, yeah, give me the MDMA. <laughs> so maybe, uh, maybe it's humane. Maybe it's better. They're going to interrogate anyway. So, you know, what do they say? Uh, honey attracts more flies than vinegar or something like that. Like, yeah, maybe if you can make make these dudes feel great, maybe they'll give you the information you need and you're going to get it anyway. So I don't know. That's the only time I've ever been to Israel. And it was interesting. We went to Masada, the famous 
spot where the people apparently jumped to their deaths rather than submit to their, I don't know if it was the Romans or who, I forget who it was that was um, persecuting them. Yeah, the whole the whole question of of persecution of Jews and you know this shooting in Pittsburgh just happened a few days ago. It's it never goes away. It never seems to end. It's very strange, very strange. And I don't have any fucking answers, so I'm just gonna go to the next person now. But thank you for sending me that. And it's nice when people send something and they say, "I've just come back from an ayahuasca ceremony," or you know, I've been. You know, today I was I took some mushrooms. I was walking around. That's a special honor when when coming down from an experience like that. Your impulse is to record something and send it to us to this community. That's a that's a really sweet and vulnerable and beautiful thing. So thank you for that. Hi, Chris. This is Jordan Jones from England in the UK. I'm currently in Hoi An, Vietnam, with my moped next to me walking past rice fields because unfortunately I just ran out of petrol in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'm on the way to a petrol station now <laughs> and hopefully can catch the sunset at the beach. Anyway, I'd just like to say thank you for the podcast. It's quickly gone to one of them. Well, this is my favourite podcast. Uh, really appreciate your outlook on life, the advice that you give and honestly you've changed my life for the better and um, uh, thank you a lot for that. So keep the good work and love you. Yo. Do you need help? No, I'm just going to... Uh... Uh, that's great. Do you need help? <laughs> that's really cool, the way that one ended. Hey, Jordan Jones, thank you for that. Uh, Hoi An, I spent, Cassie and I spent at least two weeks in Hoi An um, when we were in Vietnam. In 2003, maybe, something like that. Loved it. Beautiful town. We got there and just you know, stayed for a while, uh, a good while. It might have been more than two weeks. Um, yeah, we did a trip uh, about, I think it was over a year in Southeast Asia. My, It's a uh, long story. My dad had a liver transplant, and we gave up our place in Spain, sublet our place in Spain, moved to the U.S. to take care of my dad's business while he was getting this liver transplant. And then when he recovered, we had been away from Spain for a good year, nine months, something like that. And so he came back, took over his business again. And we were like, well, I guess we could go back to Spain or we could go somewhere else because someone else is staying in our apartment, paying our rent, all our shits and storage. It's all sort of, you know, wrapped up. So we decided to go to travel. And Cassie had never traveled backpacking because, you know, she'd been in med school and a single mom and that whole thing. So she had never really traveled the way I traveled. So we went, we flew into Thailand, uh, went from Thailand to Cambodia, Cambodia to Vietnam, Vietnam to Laos, back to Thailand, and then to India. And the whole thing was like 14 months or something. And we spent a good two, three months in Vietnam, which looking back, uh, wasn't a great decision. I uh, really liked Laos a lot more, but didn't have as much time. I found Vietnam to be kind of harsh, um, beautiful country, and I certainly understand why they're harsh. Um, but the racism was heavy, 
And Kisilda gets very dark brown in the sun. And so by the time we got to Vietnam, she was deep, deep brown. And the Vietnamese are very racist. They still have this thing about, you know, if you're brown skin, it means you're low class and you work outside. And so everybody's wearing, all the women wear these long gloves that go all the way up their arms and these big patches, these big uh, face masks that block the sun and all the skin cream has whitener in it, bleach. And of course, everybody assumes that this dark brown woman with the white guy is a whore so she's getting disrespected and people are spitting and, you know, she actually in Hoi An, out in those rice fields where you are, were, hopefully you're not there anymore. Um, we were riding out there on a moped one day and we stopped at a crossroads and there were some little kids and we were talking to the kid, trying to talk to the kids and, and this teenage boy ran out, we were sitting on the moped, this guy ran out and punched Casilda in the back and then ran away and I I was like fuck like my instinct was to get off and chase him but then I looked and there were these men sitting there just watching me like what are you gonna do you're gonna leave your woman here while you chase that guy you chase that guy into the rice baddies you're never coming back dude it was like the Vietnam War flashed through my mind you know, and he punched her because he thought she was a Vietnamese girl disrespecting herself and her culture by being with a Western guy. So I get it. It happened three times. Happened another time in Hoi An. A guy got off his bike and squeezed her tits and then ran away. Uh, and where else? It happened in Hanoi as well, I think. Yeah, Vietnam, tough place. I really liked Laos, though. Oh, loved it. And Hoi An is beautiful, just beautiful. It's one of the few places, I guess, in Vietnam that wasn't bombed to shit by by America, protecting freedom, you know? Yeah, over there helping the Vietnamese. Don't get me fucking started. Anyway, Jordan, thank you for your message, and I'm really glad that uh, you found some excuse to make positive changes in your life in this rambling, ridiculous podcast. All right, I'm going to talk, uh, I'm going to stop talking actually for a minute and play a tune that I really like. It's, um, what's it called? It's called Booby Chen, Booby Chen, and it is by, uh, fuck, I'm looking at my iTunes right now and I can't even find it. It's Sabah Mustafa and the something all-stars. Hold on, I'm going to just Sabah. Sabah Habas Mustafa and the Jugala All-Stars. Hell yeah. They are from Indonesia. So check it out. Some Indonesian music for you.
Hey there, Dr. Christopher Ryan. This is Liam Malakoff. Uh, that sound is the wind here in Louisville, Colorado. I went for a walk to see the sunset, and uh, it occurred to me I hadn't climbed a tree in a while. So I'm 30 feet up a tree, channeling my inner bonobo. Uh, hopefully I'll get down safe, because I'd like to hear some more of your podcast. All right, bye. Oh, shit, that's funny. Liam in a tree. Hope you got down, brother. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> you guys fucking kill me. You're up in a fucking tree. That's great, man. I don't know if you heard uh, the episode on the Joe Rogan podcast with um, Paul Stamets. If not, check that out. Uh, the most recent one. I think he's been on a couple times. He tells an amazing story about being in a tree and a transformational moment in his life, uh, really a defining moment in his life that happened when he was up there in that tree and a storm was coming in. Um, yeah, check that out. Paul Stamets on Joe Rogan. Paul Stamets is, if you're not familiar with him, he's one of the most accomplished mycologists in the world. The dude knows mushrooms, everything about mushrooms, fungus, the way they affect consciousness, the way they affect the immune system, the way they interact with each other, the way they interact with the, the soil and other plants and um, just fascinating stuff. It's, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I barely understand, you know, a, a sliver of what he's talking about, but it's just so fucking fascinating. Um what was I thinking about? Oh, the the tree and the Paul Stamets. And that reminded me today when we were hiking up on Mount Pinos, uh, we found glass right up on the mountaintop. There was glass and it was rounded. And it was like, wow, like somebody broke a bottle here. And it's been <clears throat> so long that the, the glass sort of lost its edge. <clears throat> but then we were looking at it. No, they were like globs of glass. And then I thought, well, maybe someone had a really hot fire and the glass melted. But like, who the hell has a campfire so hot that glass melts? And then someone else said, wait, no, it was probably lightning strike because there was sand and the lightning strike transformed the sand into glass. So I grabbed, I took a piece and I've got it on my shelf now with my other little precious items there my arrowheads and various things that I've picked up around the world I thought that was so cool like just a like a little dollop of glass formed by lightning here's another one for you I learned when I was in Australia years ago I went to into um, an opal museum because I think all most of the world's opals come from Australia and uh I love opals. I'm not real into gemstones, but I like the ones that are beautiful in their natural state. So I like opals. I like uh, turquoise, stuff like that, that if you picked it up off the ground and rubbed it on your pants, it would look beautiful. That That's what I like. Diamonds, I don't give a shit about diamonds. They totally leave me cold. In fact, I worked in the diamond district in New York, as some of you might know. And if not, you can go back and in the archives and one of the early uh, Romas or maybe it was a Toma, I guess I talked about my time in New York working in the diamond district. 
I've been around a lot of diamonds. I remember someone saying to me, I asked them, like, how do you tell the difference between a diamond and cubic zirconium, which is artificial diamond? And he said, uh, the only way you can tell is that um, cubic zirconium doesn't have any flaws. So it's too perfect. And I thought, well, that's pretty weird, right? The fake thing is more perfect than the real thing. Then how are you determining the value of the real thing? If it's not proximity to perfection. Anyway. Um, so this woman in the in the Opal Museum explained to me how opals are formed. And this is just fucking amazing. So at the bottom of the ocean, way down at the bottom of the ocean, there's an earthquake. And there's a crack. And the water rushes into the crack. And then there's another earthquake, maybe... Maybe 500,000 years later, or maybe the next day, maybe it's a tremor that you know, happens right away. Who knows? But anyway, the crack closes and it closes with great pressure. So it, imagine the crust just, you know, and all that water that's trapped in there is under incredible pressure in complete darkness at the bottom of the ocean. And it, I guess, like, sort of evaporates somehow. I don't know how it would evaporate because there's no air, there's nowhere to go. But anyway, it solidifies over time into this glass-like, very fragile substance that is the opal, which has all the colors, the blues and the greens and the reds and all those colors. That is formed in utter darkness and pressure at the bottom of the ocean. Wow. Yeah, opals. All right, let's listen to another one. Hey, Chris, this is Matt. Hello, other podcast listeners. I am sitting behind the wheel of a Peterbilt right now, driving across Nevada with a load of livestock headed to California. Love the podcast, love the guest. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Right, Matt, a Peterbilt. Those are the, the sort of the BMWs of trucks, as I understand it. The long-nosed Peterbilt. It's cool. I like to imagine truckers listening to the podcast out there on the road. Sometimes when I'm driving on the highway, truckers will drive by, or I'll drive by them, and they'll see the van, and they'll see me, and they'll honk, and they'll wave. And I never know if they're just like, hey, dude, like the van, you know, it looks like you're living the cool hippie life. Or if they're like, fuck, that's Chris. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's weird. My little, my little, like, you know, I don't know what I am, a DEF list fame. Uh, it pops up in weird places and sometimes it's on the highway or in a gas station or whatever. It's very cool. Invariably, invariably they're super cool people. So thanks, Matt. Hope everything's going well out there on the road and, uh, it's cool. It's cool to know we're with you there in the Peterbilt. Hey Chris, it's Michael coming to you from the West coast of Michigan, Grand Haven at a little after midnight. I'm watching a meteor shower right by the lake. You can probably hear it. Anyway, I'm a concert pianist who lives in Baltimore, actually. I'm just here visiting family. And I've been listening to you ever since I read Sex at Dawn six or seven years ago. 
from hearing about it from Dan Savage's podcast, I think, and I've been listening to you ever since. So I really appreciate all that you do, all of your authenticity and wisdom and foibles and honesty about all of that uh, and constant exploration of this crazy mystery we call life. And there's a shooting star right there. First one of the night. How appropriate. So thank you again. And if you're ever in Baltimore, I hope I can meet up with you. I did a Vipassana retreat 20 years ago or so when I first got, oh, more than that. When I first got to Barcelona, maybe 19, hmm, it was like 28 years ago. It was around 1990, 91. It was one of the first years in Barcelona. And if you're not familiar with Vipassana, it's a form of meditation that uh, apparently it's the form that Buddha himself was teaching and um, they do these 10-day retreats where you don't uh, have any eye contact with anyone else. You don't talk with anyone else. There's no reading, no radio, no newspapers, no phones, no nothing. You're just in your head for 10 days. You sit in meditation. You listen to these tapes of uh, this guy Goenka talking about the meditation technique. If you need to, you can talk to one of the teachers um, uh, privately, you know, for instruction or if you're freaking out or something. But the whole point is that you are as alone and isolated as possible and you can really get into yourself and into your thoughts. And um, it was really interesting. It's really hard, really hard. And this is before cell phones, you know, before the constant distraction. I think at this point it would probably be even harder. Um but still, it was hard to spend 10 days and, and just eating very simple food and just doing nothing, no distraction. Anyway, one of the teachings of Buddhism that I've always found most difficult to wrap my head around, you know, there, there's this two-part teaching, which is that happiness, unhappiness is caused by... Um, desire and avoidance so the desire for things that we like and the avoidance of things that we don't like so suffering is is in this lack of of acceptance of things as they are and so we chase the things we want we like and we run away from the things we don't like and that's sort of the wheel of suffering as i understood it and the the problem that I had with that, I could understand the one side. I understood how, you know, avoidance of pain and suffering and pain. Suffering is, you know, one of the things in Buddhism is they say pain is unavoidable. Suffering is optional. So the pain is going to come. It's going to happen. There's going to be loss. There's going to be um, unpleasant situations in your life but how you choose to experience them that's whether you suffer or not so I can understand that and I, I certainly my experience validated that teaching but the one that I always had trouble with was the desire because I'll be honest with you when I sat there for 10 days meditating in my head it was like a fucking porn film festival going on like I, you know, when I don't have anything else to think about, often sex just comes into my head and I don't think I'm the only one. So, um, I was thinking about that and I was thinking like, you know, I like desire. 
I like, you know, I was thinking about women in my life at the time and like, no, like I like desiring her or them and I, they like me desiring them. They like to feel desired and like, what's the, it just felt like shaming and sex negative and a little too close to like Christian, you know, God's watching you don't touch your wee wee kind of bullshit. And, uh, I always had trouble with that. Anyway, one night I was out walking by myself in this big field near the building where we were doing this retreat. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking like, how, how can I square this? How can I square the fact that, that I really enjoy pleasure. I enjoy connecting to people. I enjoy loving women, both loving them emotionally, loving, you know, making love with them. I, 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 I like this connection and this this hunger and desire and all that. And yet I understand on some level what the Buddhist teaching is trying to say to me. How do I fit these things together in my head? And as I'm thinking this, I'm looking at the sky and shooting star. And there was my answer. I enjoyed that shooting star. I watched it. I was absorbed in it. I didn't think about anything else. For the two or three seconds that that light was falling across the sky, that's all I thought about. That's all I experienced. And when it was over, it was over. I let it be over. And I wasn't sad about it. I wasn't resentful. I wasn't thinking how much better my life was when that star was falling through the sky. I accepted it as a gift that had a beginning and an end and that that was the nature of the gift and I never asked for anything more. I never expected anything more. I understood that the essence of the experience was that it was transitory. And that was the answer. There's nothing wrong with desire. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a deep connection with someone. What's wrong is insisting that it lasts forever, insisting that it lasts forever as it is right now, insisting that that star fall f- across the sky forever, all fucking night long. That's not how it works. So anyway. That's what the Michigan meteor shower made me think of. Hello, Chris. This is Sean Miller from Denver, Colorado. Just saying I enjoy your podcast. Currently, right now, I'm not in Denver. I'm across the globe in Europe, traveling down the Rhine River in Germany. Beautiful country. Keep doing the podcast. Love your work. Thanks, man. Germany. I hitchhiked through Germany twice. Back in the day, I was in East Germany uh, shortly before the wall came down. Uh, I met my buddy Sean in Copenhagen, and we took trains to Berlin, East Berlin, and then we went down to Prague when that was still a communist country, Czechoslovakia, and then we took a train from Prague to the German border and hitchhiked across Bavaria to Paris. 
And then another, actually, no, that was the second one. The first one was when I hitchhiked from Amsterdam to Denmark to meet him uh, earlier that on that same trip. I hitchhiked across northern Germany. And, um, yeah, I spoke a little German, but, like, only enough to give the false impression that I spoke a little German. Uh, you know, that was... I, I spoke German because I'm an idiot, basically. Um, I didn't speak German. I studied German because I'm an idiot. The story there is that uh, in... What was it? Eighth grade? Seventh grade. Yeah, at the end of seventh grade, we took a test, and if you scored high enough in the test, then you could study a language starting in eighth grade the next year. And there were three offerings. There was Spanish, French, and German. And Spanish was like, you know, probably 60% of the kids took Spanish and 25, 30% took French and a few, like eight kids wanted to do German. And I signed up for Spanish. And then over the summer, this girl named Judy Gumpf, who I thought I was in love with, um, told me that she wanted to do German and she'd signed up for German, but they didn't think there were enough students. They were one student short. And so she was really upset that they probably weren't going to have the class. So I called the school and switched to German. <clears throat> yeah. Dumb, 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 dumb. Judy was super cute. She was on the swim team. I was on the swim team, so I got to see her in her bathing suit a lot. And, you know, okay, it's 7th, 8th grade, but Judy was... <sighs> yeah. Um, but, of course, Judy didn't give a shit about me. I was her friend. I was... I was so friend zoned. This is before people even knew what a friend zone was. I was a dork. I was in, you know, an eighth grader with zits and braces. Judy was dating a 22 year old with a Camaro. I had no shot. I had no chance. But did I care? No, I didn't care. So I signed up for fucking German classes. I ended up taking German for three goddamn years with Herr Flint who looked like Hitler. He had a fucking Hitler mustache. How do you teach German in Western Pennsylvania in the 1970s and have a fucking Hitler mustache? I don't know, but he did. Herr Flint. And he also was the soccer coach because he was European somehow. I don't know how he ended up in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, but anyway... Uh, I could not wrap my head around German. I had, I could not figure it out. And it wasn't just cause Judy was in the room, which was distracting as hell. German's really fucking confusing and I'm not good at languages. I I'm good at English and I kind of understand Spanish. I never speak it perfectly, but, uh, German. I mean, accusative, dative. I mean, there are three genders. It's bad enough in Spanish there, too. Like, oh, la silla. Why is a chair feminine? It's a fucking chair, man. I don't get all that stuff. But in German, you've got three. You've got masculine, feminine, and neutral. Or neuter. No, neutral. Whatever. Die der das. And, like, to make it even more confusing, like, a little girl is das Mädchen. Little girl, which you would think would be pretty fucking feminine. No, no. No, it's not feminine. It's neutral. Ah, oh man, come on now. This is crazy. 
these fucking languages. So I studied German for three years. The only reason I didn't fail was because Herr Flint didn't want me to fail because if he lost students, they'd fire him because there wouldn't be enough students to justify the class. I didn't really understand this at the time, but there was no way I was going to get lower than a C. And the unspoken agreement was that I had to be on the soccer team, which I also wasn't any good at, but it was another one of these deals where like if there weren't enough kids on the soccer team, Herrick Flint wouldn't get paid his extra money to coach the soccer team. So I'm out there on the fucking soccer team. I suck at soccer. I'm falling down all the time. Every time I try to kick the ball, I trip over it and, you know. And during the games, when the parents would come to watch and he would yell, he got really like red-faced and he'd yell and yell. And when it was me, he yelled in German. I guess he thought like he was tutoring me or something. So I still have these memories of, you know, mach schnell, mach schnell, dummkopf. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. Everyone knew he was yelling at me because it was in German. Like, that was going to help me somehow. I'm just, I'm traumatized, basically, as you can probably tell. Uh, so I hope floating down the Rhine was fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I like Germany, kind of. It's all very tidy those countries they're very very tidy brussels too uh northern european countries are extremely tidy i like i like a little sloppiness i think that's why i'm more of a mediterranean guy all right that's enough that's it that's an hour and 12 minutes that's got to be more than enough listening to me reminiscing and yapping so i'm gonna wrap it up i'm gonna play one more song for you let's do um This is a song from a band in Congo named Zap Mama, and the song is Vivre. Thank you for listening, and thank you for sending these intro snips. You can send them to intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com. And um, yeah, I'll either play them in one of these or I'll play them in a regular episode. In any case, I love hearing from you folks. Thanks so much for being part of the tangentially speaking community. Hope everybody's doing great out there. Bye. J'habite au deux, au village à côté, et l'appartement au numéro 200. J'habite au 2000, dans la gorge. Capitalisé. Ah oui, ah oui, ah oui, 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 oui. Chiki, chiki, boua, toma wawa, shiba wawa, toma wawa, toma wawa, chiki, chiki, boua, toma wawa, shiba wawa, toma wawa, toma wawa, chiki, chiki, boua, toma wawa, shiba wawa, toma wawa, toma wawa, chiki, chiki, boua, toma wawa, toma wawa, toma wawa, toma wawa. Voilà six dans l'herbe préfabriquée. J'y croyais à l'herbe plus verte d'à côté Ville réchauffée au microwave toute la journée A forfait, à sa forfait, à forfait toute la journée Chiki chiki boua, toma wawa, shiba wawa, toma wawa, toma wawa Chiki chiki boua, toma wawa, shiba wawa, toma wawa, toma wawa 
shiki shiki boom wow Toma wow wow shiba wow wow Toma wow toma wow wow shiki shiki boom wow Toma wow wow toma wow toma wow toma wow Lemme si kushi tonga pure kitava 